Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Sport is in the air. Everybody's talking about the, their favorite sport and their favorite athletes. I'm not a super sporty person. If you ask me who is doing what in the Olympics right now, I couldn't tell you. I'm sorry. But, but there was one sport that I really loved growing up. Being a Canadian, of course, I loved canoeing. Canoeing was my sport. I loved to be on the water, particularly solo paddling. I thought it was amazing. And there were these canoeing teachers, um, mentors in the camps that I worked at. And there was one, he was just amazing. And he, he did this when they first saw it. I just thought, how did he do it? He picked up a canoe out of the water. You kind of dropped it up on his thighs. And then it just one move, he flipped it over his head. And, and it's not like this was pre-Kevlar, because I'm really old. So it wasn't one of those canoes that weighed like five pounds. This was like a big aluminum 98-pound canoe kind of thing. And we just watched him do it. And I was like, how did you even do that? How did you? I had that moment of like, how does that even happen? And can you teach me how? I think we've all got moments like that. We see people in our lives that we see as mentors or teachers. Maybe, maybe you're a tennis player, an aspiring tennis player, and you saw somebody, they've got the perfect tennis serve. Maybe golfing, you've got somebody, you've got a friend, and you're like, I can't even believe how he does what he does with that on the, on the golf course. Maybe you've got a friend who's a great communicator, somebody who just weaves worlds out of words. Maybe you've got someone in your life who's an organizational genius. You can do somebody who can figure out like Google Sheets and do spreadsheets. <laughs> I have a friend like that. Georgina, you're amazing. I wish I could do what you do. Maybe you've got a friend. Maybe you're a mom and you go over to another mom's house. And I don't know how they do it. They've got four kids, but everything in their house is in its place. <laughs> We've had these people in our lives who, who just have a lot of expertise who really know how to do things. And, and, uh, and, and I think it's exciting for us and inspiring for us and sometimes overwhelming for us, but we just look and ask the question, how do you do that? And I think about Jesus and his disciples. I think about the life that they lived together over the course of the three and a half years. There was so much kingdom activity. There were signs and there were wonders. There was feeding thousands of people. They saw all kinds of healing. They saw raising of the dead and storms being calmed. They saw all kinds of things. Jesus speaking with authority. They observed how Jesus was at work in the world doing his father's work, doing his father's will. And as they watched, as they observed, as they were challenged, they traced it back to its source. And they asked the key question. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. I think it's so interesting. They didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to raise the dead or Jesus, teach us how to like make 5,000 sandwiches all at once. Jesus, teach us how to, you know, calm storms. They just, they knew that at the very center of it all, the inception point was his relationship with his father, was his prayer life. And they asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. I get asked a lot this question. It's like, Jill, how does prayer work? I actually hate that question. <laughs> I get slightly cranky with that question because when you ask the question, how does prayer work? It implies that prayer is this mechanistic thing, that it's a tool that if we figure it out, we can make it happen the way that we want it to happen. And so when they ask me the question, how does prayer work? I ask them the question, 
how does uh, conversations with your husband or your wife work? And they think about it for a second and they're like, yeah, it's probably not the best question, is it? <laughs> and so I think, I, mean, I think a more helpful question when we're thinking about prayer is how do we grow in prayer? I think that's less mechanistic. It's less trying to make something happen the way we want to make it happen. It's more organic. It's more relational way of thinking about prayer. I'll give you my definition of prayer. It's really simple. Prayer is conversation and communion with the God who is nearer to me than I could ever imagine and the God who loves me more than I could ever hope or dream for. Let's look together at John 15 verses 5 to 9. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you will bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. I love that language. Remain, abide, make your home in me. That's how Eugene Peterson translates it that way. Make your home in me. I've been friends with Jesus since I was 14. That's 36 years of friendship. And for the last 20 years of that friendship, I've been a prayer missionary, or some people call it a new modern monastic. Other people call me a musicianary. <laughs> Choose the title you want. I've been leading prayer communities in Canada, um, back at home in Canada, and now here in the UK at Waverly Abbey. And you'd think after 20 years of prayer being the main part of my life and work that I would be like an expert at prayer. <laughs> but I'm so not. I just feel like I'm like the disciples every day coming back to Jesus saying, teach me how to pray. And so that being said, let me just share with you a couple of things that are helping me, continuing to help me grow in prayer. So there's four things. Number one, feel the need. Number two, make space. Number three, lean into love. Number four, savor the sweetness. Feel the need. I don't know about you, but my life is too big for me. And this world's problems are too big for me. In the midst of raging global pandemic, the Taliban making its way across Afghanistan, rioting in South Africa, and even on the home front as we battle in prayer for healing for little Eloise or Bexberry here in our Emmaus family. Life is too big for us. The problems are too big for us. And so we're, when we're aware of the scope of the need that drives us into prayer, we have these moments of vulnerability where all we can do, we've done everything we can do, and all there's left to do is just ask, God, would you help us? We're so powerless over people, places, and things. We step into that vulnerability. That's the invitation to grow in prayer. And I have good news for you who are parents, particularly parents of young children. Rejoice to say, hallelujah, you have entered into the school of prayer. <laughs> as soon as you've had a kid, that child is going to catalyze more prayer in your life than anything that you could imagine. God teaches how to pray.
I wonder if one of the biggest enemies in our lives and one of the biggest enemies in our prayer lives is our own self-sufficiency. I can do it all by myself. And for me, that is. I'm my first, I'm just always stepping into the space in my own resource. And it's only when I bump into my, the end of my capacity and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, God, come and help me. You might be more spiritual than I am, but I struggle with that a lot. But you know what? I'm, I'm getting a little bit older. I turned 50 this year. And I am too old for Jill-sized things. I don't want to see Jill-sized things in my life. I want to see God-sized things, which means I need to tap into the need that I have. I need to feel the need and feel the ache and feel the hurt of what's going on around me and lift that up into God's presence, setting aside my independence. Feeling the need helps us to grow in prayer. And then number two, making space. This is just super practical, everybody. Making space in our schedule. We need to allocate time to be with God. And we also need to, to recapture some of the margin that we've lost in the age of di digital distraction. I call my cell phone a weapon of mass distraction. That's what it is, right? We lose our margin because as soon as we have a moment, we are just scrolling through that phone and we wonder why we don't have time to pray. It's because we filled it with electronic white noise all around the edges, maybe one of the most potent discipleship things you could do with your collective or your small group is check how much screen time is reported on your phone each week. That would be like really telling and really challenging. So a few things. Does your phone go to bed before you do? That's like good phone parenting. So <laughs> it could be helpful not to allow your phone or your iPad into your bedroom. How much TV do you watch? You know, here's a few things I do. I, I try to be disciplined about my bedtime, keeping, keeping um, devices out of my room. When I'm commuting, I went into London. Ah, I went into London this week for the very first time. It's like, woohoo, you know, and, and loading up my phone for that train commute with stuff that's going to help me fix my eyes on Jesus. It's helped me to connect in with the prayer community. So we have morning prayer, 8 a.m. every day during the regular school season. We've got midday prayer for those of you who are not morning people. And then we've got evening prayer every night. Do you know if I, so many times during, during the pandemic, I didn't want to pray when I got up. But I knew there were a whole bunch of people waiting for me on the Zoom room. So I sort of dragged my sorry backside to that prayer meeting. And it helped me pray together. Praying together helps Back in the day when I was a young mom, I was a single mom. And so for me, I had to be really creative about how I created space for God in my life. So I went for long walks with my daughter in a stroller or pulling behind in a wagon so that I could talk with God while we were on the road. I joined a mom's prayer group during the day. I played worship music in my home during the day. I even did, <laughs> I had this season where I was really into like strategic prayer walking and so me and, and my friend we would go out with our strollers with our kids and we would just do like strategic level prayer and all of these areas but we just we were just like moms with strollers they didn't know that we were like stomping demons and stuff it was super fun so we did we did that together <laughs> and um another thing that you can do if you're a couple you're like i'm never going to get any time alone i've got kids i'm like no 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 this is this is quite easy husbands give your wife a half a day retreat once a month Take the kids for the Saturday morning and give her a retreat and then swap over. So you can give each other retreat days. That's a simple way that you can create space in your family life for prayer. And one of the great thing that we've got here with being part of the 24-7 prayer movement is we have the Lectio 365 
app. You can do morning prayer. You can do nighttime prayer. You can have Pete, <laughs> Pete and Hannah Heather chat with you at night and lead you in prayer as you go to sleep just from your phone, uh, which is a bit tricky if you've left your phone outside of your room. But you guys, you guys can figure that out. But we just try and create ways and means for you to help build prayer into the nooks and crannies of your life. Making space. Number three, leaning into love. The psalmist says in Psalm 131, I have stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother. I love this. Eugene Peterson's message translation says this. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content in my mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. So we can give God our prayer list, but can we give him our heart? Can we give him our heart? I, uh, Pete, uh, Pete Gregg wrote this on Facebook one day. I love that. He says, most people's biggest problem with prayer is undoubtedly God. They picture him perpetually scowling, distant or bored. Why would anyone want to spend time alone with a supreme being who hates them? <laughs> a lot of us, that's, you know, our, our, our vision of who God is prevents us from wanting to be with him. The Bible says... Pete goes on, he says, the Bible says that God is love. And this means that love is not just a thing that God is like from time to time, but it's who he actually is. His very nature is pure love. And so when I approach God in prayer, he's not holding up a scorecard or grading my performance. He's not on the phone to the Pope. He's fully present, arms wide, smiling with delight. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 says, May the Lord direct your heart into the love of God. Can we lean into love? And just a simple way to help you do this, because uh, it, it can be hard, particularly if we've had uh, family of origin issues where those that have been meant to care for us have not given us the love that we need. But one, one small way, I do something a lot during the day called a breath prayer. Breath prayer is an ancient monastic practice. And all it is, it's a simple prayer that you would pray as you breathe, as you inhale and as you exhale. And then every time you breathe, you try and pray your little breath prayer. And one of mine that I love and use a lot is Abba, I am yours alone. So I inhale, Abba, which is Papa, Father, Abba, and exhale, I am yours alone. So prayer then isn't work. It isn't this sort of aching responsibility. Prayer is leaning back into love, knowing that I am the beloved of God and that his desire is for me. The scripture says he wants to be with me. He wants to hold me in my weakness and my fragility and my vulnerability. Abba, I am your alone. And then finally, savoring the sweetness. We get these moments, don't we, where life is just sweet. I have a few moments. Yesterday I was visiting and praying with some friends who were visiting from out of town. I was hearing the story of where God is at work in their hearts and their lives and I could just see just their faces were just radiant. You could just see the love of Jesus just emanating from them and I, I sat in a chair chatting with them and listening and I just felt this intense gratitude. It's like, oh God, you are so beautiful. I savored the sweetness of that moment. I was at a wedding yesterday after having taken my, my test. We all took COVID tests before we went to the wedding, but we were there and I saw two babies 
in our Emmaus congregation that I had only ever seen pictures of or online, and I just saw them in the flesh, and I was like, oh, it was just a beautiful moment, and I savored the sweetness of the moment, the goodness of God there. And then there was uh, a moment near the end of the wedding, there was the first dance. First dances always make me cry. I don't know about you guys, if you're at a wedding and either the bride coming down the aisle or the first dance, I just, I get all wet-eyed and weepy. And, but there was the first dance and then, and then, you know, others joined on the dance floor. And, and after, you know, a year and a half of pandemic and, and uh, well, I mean, we're still in, but, but to actually be together and, and in, in a place of celebration, celebrating the lives of those we love. I, I got all emotional. I just welled up and went, oh, God, this is so sweet. And we think, well, that's just enjoyment. It's like, no, you know what? This is prayer. These moments where we savor the sweetness, this is prayer. This is where we are joining with the creator of heaven and earth who looked down on what he created and said, this is good. And we go, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I think it's good to take these moments to pause, to ponder. It's actually a contemplative way of being in the world to savor the sweetness of it all. This also is prayer. So it's just about abiding in the vine, leaning into love, making our home in God. This is about participating with God in his creative work in the world. So I hope that's helpful for you. If you want to learn how to grow in prayer more, Feel the need. Allow yourself to feel the hurt in the world and the perplexities and the uncertainties of it all. Know that you don't have the answers to everything. Offer that up into God's presence. Make space. There are lots of practical, simple things that you can do in your day to make space and time for conversation and communion with God. Lean into love. Lean into love. Just relax back into the God who loves you, knowing that his desire to commune with you and converse with you is far greater than yours. He's just happy that you're here. And finally, savor the sweetness. Jesus comes to give us abundant life, life to the full. He's given us all things richly to enjoy. That also is our prayer, wonder, and worship. So let me pray for you, and, uh, and then we're going to go into a little worship song about just turning our eyes on Jesus. God, we love you. It is such a privilege to be your children. It is astounding that the creator of heaven and earth actually wants to have intimate communion and conversation with little old us. Lord, we rejoice in that. We settle into that. We we make our home in you. Lord, would you help us to grow in prayer? Would you help us to make space? And Lord, we just ask that we as your children would live in the wonder of all of the goodness that you have set before us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.